the Anfield Wrap, brought to you by High Street Solicitors. Visit us now on Egbeth Road or call 203 1268. Show them the way to go home. They're tired and they want to go to bed. 40 winks. They're only half a football, ladies and gentlemen. It is the Anfield Rap City Talk 105.9. We're here, top of the tower, to take you right the way through. Five till six doing this sort of nonsense. You've got transfers for five hours that follow. Six till 11 o'clock. Then we've got West Brom coming up at about 5.45. But part one, it's all about the Merseyside derby. We want to bring that feeling of sheer rambunctiousness and enthusiasm back to you. John Gibbons opposite me. Also got Jonathan Norcroft here and Rob Gutman. Opening questions going to come from Stephen Bennett at Stephen Bennett 3 on the Twitter favourite type of goal Stephen selects a towering header um, John Gibbons what's yours I love a volley any volley a clean as you like volley crisp crisp volley I mean the best type of volley though is the one who hits the bottom of the bar bounces down and then, <laughs> and then, and then into the roof of the net Tony Yeboah style basically Tony Yeboah is my favourite type of goal Tony Yeboah. Yeah. It's a great answer. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's a fascinating one because I think these are all going to be slightly similar. Jonathan, what's yours? I, I love any goal that the, the scorer sees before anyone else in the stadium. Suarez scored one against Fulham recently. Obviously, it's a Scott Archie Gemmell against Holland. But I just love one that when the guy gets a ball, he's the first person to think of actually trying to score and then he goes and does it. Excellent, yes, I know exactly I know exactly the sort of thing that you're thinking of. Uh, Rob Gutman, what's yours? I think this again, that, that sort of falls in the category I'm going to say. What's yours? I'm thinking about it from a partisan point of view, from a Liverpool point of view. It's a goal that takes forever to go in. One that the momentum's there. You think someone's about to score, but it doesn't quite happen, and then it does, and then it all goes off. Um, most recently, Jordan Henderson's against uh, Spurs. The opener. Yeah, the opener. Uh, we... Oh, no, not the opener. The opener was Suarez, sorry, the second. Yeah, the, sorry, the second, which feels like the important goal of the game, because yeah. it's the clincher. And... Um, the John Aldridge one where McMahon keeps it in heroically and everyone does, about seven people do something to make that goal happen and not necessarily in a smooth way, but just the, just the triumph of the will. <laughs> not to make a Nazi <laughs> reference early doors, but you know what I mean. You may as well lash it out there. I know exactly, we've all picked sort of a similar goal because the one I love, I love any goal where it bounces between the goalkeeper and the net. So if the goal, the ball bounces between the goalkeeper and the net, I love. So we all love the goal that drags out the tension. So I'm thinking of like the Decina lob against United 08 09. I'm thinking of any goal where and that sort of thing happens. So that's what you're thinking of there. It bounces down off the top of the bar. Yeah. It could go either side of the line. My God, it's exciting. Yeah. And I think all oh, that's what that that's a sort of like the goal where the, where you you mm. realise that the scorer has already scored. Yeah. Like he's gone, he scored. Yeah, that's the goal. I think that's the goal that we're all thinking of. It's interesting. Stephen's chosen a tower and header as well. The one I always think of like that weirdly is the Bruno Shiru goal against um, Newcastle in the FA Cup when Gerard whipped it over from the left about 2002 and Shiru had scored before he made the run again <laughs> like all those things and it was a great header yeah that's the goal indeed Christ. was that a header? that was a header Oh, okay. He scored two in that game. He scored two in the game. I'm thinking if he scored one like the John Aldridge goal in the semi-final uh, where Barnes puts it in and Beardsley's flicked it on. You know, it's a legendary yeah. goal. It's not that one. No. It's nothing like that. No. <laughs> 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 Moving on. Okay, okay. Uh, Liverpool for Everton nil. Did anyone amongst you see that? Rob Gutman, did you see that coming? Did I see that game? Yeah. 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 Did I see? No, not in a million years. In fact... Uh, I've, you know, I'm nervous before all derbies. I never want to watch derbies. And then you say to them, and I think, this one is going to be particularly horrible. And after two minutes, you look around the pitch, and I thought the first time in decades that was an Everton team where the lineup actually mm. made me a little bit worried. There was quality all over that, that field. And the fact that he, he dragged people from their sick beds to perform, 
uh, you thought, oh no, it's all it's all coming right for them in one horrible moment of nightmarishness where they where they they bring reprise 1999 but in a more glorious way. So the fact that it was all set up for this horror show and then it just became the best football match I've ever seen <laughs> at this particular moment in my life. That's how it feels. It that, was just incredible. And Jonathan, we, we we know that you're not a Liverpool supporter. You've written an excellent article about exactly where your loyalties lie. But I mean. It, I was concerned, you know, coming in, I was thinking, you know, these they're, mm. they're, they're playing lovely stuff at the moment. They managed to get everyone back. But do you think it was, I mean, I don't want to just focus on the Everton side, but do you think it was almost a bit of an error from Martinez in terms of forcing all those players back in because they just weren't quite all sharp enough? Yeah, there's quite quite a few that weren't at the races. I mean, I, I saw Martinez a week before with a few of the press and I, I didn't see that result coming because he was so confident about the game. He, he almost had a bit of swagger going into it. And it was all about, we're going to go with a new style of playing. It's not going to be damage limitation. It's going to be attack them better than they attack us. And you looked at the teams and, and, and you thought, yeah, you know, this, this could be a really, really tight game. In hindsight, Stone's a bit young to be in such an important position. Um, obviously, the, the, the defending was, was, was poor. And um, yeah, Ross Bartley was, was a bit of a mistake as well. But I think it all came from Martinez's confidence, his self-confidence about what he could do. That, that, I'm not, that, that's prescient, isn't it, John? Everton turned up, they tried to boss the game, they tried to run the game, and that sort of played into the hands of what we attempted to do. We, I mean, when I was watching this, I was thinking, if we weren't winning this 4-0, People would be absolutely furious with Rodgers <laughs> off the basis of the fact that we've, we're, we're allowing them to have the ball, we're allowing we're seeding that bit of play to them, we're letting them have build up. The first 20 minutes, Gareth Barry repeatedly got the ball and was allowed to play because Liverpool were trying to target other Everton players, trying to isolate them. If that doesn't come off, then it's the sort of thing that you know managers get into real trouble for, but it very much did. It is, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a kind of a tailor to managers, really, the, the game. And you, you like to talk about players and, and footballers because they're the exciting people, but, but I think, I think. To be fair to Martinez, I think he, he he wanted all those players on the pitch, but also I don't think he was expecting what Rodgers did, and that's why I thought you'd say it's, it's kind of a tale of two managers, really, because we haven't seen that from Rodgers at home, and I think he was probably looked at the Villa game and thought, well, our best chance is to have a go at them and and to be expansive and, and you know to, to to really take the game to Liverpool, and he, and I think if we'd have, if it We'd have been talking about it before the game. We'd have, we'd have all said that's that's their best chance as well. Don't just sit back against Liverpool because of the attacking players they've got. You know, really have a go. But I don't think he was expecting what we got from Rodgers, which was very much kind of a four-five-one off the ball and very deep. And you know, the the, the strikers the strikers taking it in turns to play this wide left role. I mean, you haven't seen Suarez mm. so deep so much of the game. And the fact that we were so, you know, completely willing for them to have so much of the ball. So I think I think Martinez just got got kind of tricked by Rogers deciding that, um, you know, he'd go for a kind of European style of, of um, a game. I thought the funny thing was that the home manager was the one that took the gamble. It's often, you know, it's supposed to be the home side plays <coughs> the way they always play. The away side tries to come up with something and it's flipped on its head. And yeah, exactly what, what, what Rogers did in terms of putting Sturridge out in the left at the start and, and targeting Stones and really starting to get to them, letting them have the ball. It, it, when... Martinez was scouting Liverpool, he just wouldn't have seen that at all. And it was really interesting to see a manager being rewarded for gambling at home in that way. It is this, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing, isn't it, Robert? To say if it doesn't come off, then it, it doesn't look great. But it was that clash of styles. It was very much Everton wants to build, 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 create pressure. Liverpool wanted to be in transition ruthless, and they were absolutely ruthless. Yeah, they were. Um, it was it was built on that compact base, and that's what surprised Martinez. He thought we before you you think that the Liverpool formation is dictated by the lineup, but uh, as everyone said, he, he switched one of the um, the centre forwards to a wide left position. If you look at the, the heat maps, you can see Coutinho and Henderson. Actually, Henderson and Sterling are as central as each other throughout the match. Yeah. Raheem Sterling mm. is not uh, chalk 
chalk on the boot style and continues there's a very liverpool almost look on the heat map like an arrowhead uh, and it's it's an incredibly compact formation having said that i think there's a bit of deception about the the stat, uh, the possession figures where it looks like liverpool played like the away side entirely sucked it and hit them on the break at the, po- the point before Liverpool scored, Liverpool were getting quite dominant and on the front foot in that game. I think what happened was, at 1-0, Liverpool knew they could now play the game the way they wanted to. And Everton were high, Everton were aggressive and prepared to gamble. And I think Liverpool said, fine, OK, you're going to play us like that. We're not going to fight that part of you. We're going to hit you. I think at that, I don't think Rodgers set out to have 39% possession and play like the away side. I think it, it came in, he set out to be compact and it came upon him and it worked brilliantly. Also, if you put the ball in the net after three touches, then you're not you don't have much possession but you've put the ball in the net and well exactly. Or, if you have a, exactly or if you have a shot and it goes wide yeah. or if you have a shot and it goes yeah. wide or the keeper yeah. saves it you've lost you've lost yeah. possession i think that's that, that i think that's all quite interesting i think it's this i think if if i was to criticize martinez it wouldn't be for the opening jonathan it wouldn't be for what mm. he does, does at the opening but at one nil there was an argument that if you are everton you think let's just get to half time and instead everton and this is where what, what rob's saying is accurate everton just flooded forward they were already high they got 10 yards higher liverpool were letting stones have the ball just not worrying about yeah. him which is a bit you know it's, it, it happened to us against Villa with sissoko they just let him have the ball yeah. and then it goes from there and suddenly then you know you can just be undressed yeah, there was actually an opportunity for Stones because the flip side of, of, of what Liverpool were doing was to give him some freedom. And He's a young player. He, he wasn't part of the Brendan's gamble, I guess, was that he wouldn't adjust to that and he didn't. And I thought there was a there was a there maybe a naivety about Everton as a whole that they didn't, um, you know, exactly what you say, get to half-time, change it a little bit, get in, see the manager and do something different. But the way Martinez manages is very much, this is what we do, we're going to pass the ball all the time. Pellegrini's trying it at Man City. Yeah. Um, so, you you know, you look at it holistically. And they had a couple of good efforts at 1-0. I mean, it kind of gets in, forgotten in a 4-0 game, I think, and you just think, oh, we, we stuffed them and it was playing sailing all the way. I thought they looked as likely to score as us, I thought, at, I thought at 1-0, and that second goal was the real big one, and that was when we, you know, we, we really kicked on and it could have been anything from there, but I thought they had a, a couple of good efforts. And as you say, it's how he's trying to play, and I think if he's made a decision, which is slightly different to Rodgers, in my opinion, whereas Rodgers is, has gone in, looked look to install his style of football straight away and then thought, hang on, my players aren't really suited. So he's been he's been a bit more pragmatic and he's looked at different ways to do it. He's looked at, he's looked at so many different ways to play in it and it's kind of, not so much stumbled is the wrong way, but kind of fallen on this one and said, said this is this is the best way for me going forward. Martinez has gone a completely different way and decided, yes, I do have the players to play how I want. And so I think this, this soon into his Everton career and this... How it's how it's gone so well, and the fact that Everton fans have embraced it so much as well, and the fact that they they won at Old Trafford, and I think they were they were so confident coming in. I think it would have been wrong for him to go. Well, actually, do you know what? I've got a couple of injuries, so let's completely go differently. I think you know it's almost the case of you know they've come too far to forget who they are. To misquote Daft Punk, you know, I think <laughs> I think they've just thought you know what this is this is we've we've got to this point, got to this point playing this football. We've got them all won at Old Trafford, and I was. Peter McParland, who did the who's who's from the Blue Room, we did on Thursday. Um, wasn't too despondent on Wednesday morning, and he said, "Do you know what? Martinez gets this one for free for me." And I think that's kind of all the Evertonians felt. You know, we've come this far playing this football. Yeah, maybe looking back because of the injuries he had, he should have altered his play a bit. But you know, I think he's just trying to teach them how to play and get, trying to get as quickly as he can to the way he wants to play. And you know, if you're going to get some rocky days on on the way, then that's what happens. Yeah, I, there's, there's no derbies are always watersheds and. You know, in Martinez has, has had an incredible run. Really, he's he's come in as a manager where people were de- were, were 
dubious about he he had a semi he had some incredible results at Wigan but the but the the wider opinionated public weren't sure whether he was this messianic manager or or this uh, charlatan now he, he's hit the ground with Everton despite the cynicism of the fans and he's had this run and he's felt like the messianic for uh, uh, former uh, th- and this is a crucial watershed as I said for him he needs to recover quickly because I thought if you looked at him in his interview afterwards, his words, his platitudes were spot on. We'll we'll knock this off. We'll stick to our principles. We'll be we'll be okay. This is just a blip. But you look at his face, his body language. Mm-hmm. I hate to be a, a, an amateur psychologist about this, but he looked like he'd had been in a car crash. Mm-hmm. He looked really, really shell shocked. And I it, I, it reminds me a bit of David O'Leary, who had two and a half years of a good run, got to Champions League semi finals. And when he hit the skids, he didn't ever really fully recover from it. I know players were being sold from under him, but this is a major test for Martins. He needs to come back and come back quickly. And just briefly on this one, Jonathan, he's got Aston Villa coming at the weekend uh, from an Everton yeah. perspective. Probably no worse side you can play in terms of uh, they just want to counter. Well, we know exactly what they'll do, and they'll you know they will test that young defence. They'll they'll test Alcaraz as well. And and I think that the overall worry, if there is a worry going forward for Martinez, is it always looked like he had that. Um, David Moyes' defence, and then on top of that, he could he could do his his flair and all that sort of stuff. And he didn't have the David Moyes' defence; he had a Wigan defence, he had Alcaraz, and it, that that's a question for him to answer going forward. Can he do it? Build his own defence. Yeah, poor Jackie Elka trying his best. Um, <laughs> ben Ben Johnson spent the entirety of the second half, ironically, encouraging Jackie Elka on the Jags. Uh, keep running, Jags. Keep working. Uh, said everyone around him didn't know what was going on. Let's talk about Daniel Sturridge because Daniel Sturridge remains underrated. Uh, never thought he'd miss that first one, Rob. Never thought he'd miss through one on one. No, he was always in the back of the net. You, you just don't doubt it with him, do you? It's um, I don't want to jinx him by he'll miss the next four, but it was against Bournemouth. The same thing. He's just he's become a routine. Uh, that, that Ian Rush specialised in that finish more than any Liverpool striker I can remember more so than Fowler put him through slot it and got enormous credit for basing his entire credit his entire career on that finish Daniel Sturridge makes that a small part of his game he does that and then a series of wonder goals he is an incredibly complete striker the second sublime Jonathan his second oh. is absolutely ridiculous and he's having a look and he's having a look and he sort of you know he has another look and then maybe you know he could have a sit down <laughs> <It's>, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and it, he just has so much awareness of what's going on around him but it's good to, it's it's not. It's not that sort of. You can see it's almost not instinctive, and that in a way almost makes it better. He's he's assessed everything up to and including whether or not he's offside, and then he's thought, "I'm going over your head." Yeah, and and the lob is the most difficult one to sort of calibrate, as it were, because you're talking about goal, balls that bounce before they go in. Obviously, you've got to try and lob it, but keep it keep it down enough for it to go in the net. And he he knew exactly where everything was, and he also knew exactly what weight of lobby needed to 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 hit and he also knew, knew exactly the angle to turn his body and i think that is what he's about he, he's got that that picture of, of of where the goal is at all times that the top strikers need i mean i i'm a big fan of his it's uh, it's ridiculous how good he was the through ball for sterling as well in the first half john didn't get the credit he deserved because it didn't end up going in the back of the net and that that's always the case but it's uh it's great stuff yeah, because of the, everyone was showing the goals, so all you really saw it on the replays and all everyone was talking about with these fantastic goals. It's a wonderful ball, and the fact that he spots it—I mean, Sturridge gets, sorry, Sterling gets there because of his, you know, his, his ridiculous pace. Of course, I mean, he, he kind of sails past two guys, but you know, it's have the vision to see that, and it just shows shows that side of, of Sturridge's game, which is which is what we're all getting at, which kind of gets forgotten about because his goal scoring record has been so good, and because as well, we kind of had an idea of what kind of player he was before he came. You know, these things kind of still take you by surprise and these things kind of still maybe going a little bit unrecognised. The fact is that, you know, he's he's very aware of what's going on around him, but he's very willing to kind of bring people into play. And, you know, he's looking to link up with, Star- with, with Suarez, he's looking to link up with Sterling, and that's what impressed me the most. And he can hold the ball up so well as well. 
and that's you know that's the um, all aspects of this sort of stuff. That's that that's what grabs me. He shouldn't have took the penalty uh, because no. the reason why he shouldn't have took the penalty was because if the penalty goes in, it's five nil. With um, you know, it's, it becomes five nil with, with with half an hour left. At which point he's going to have endless tra- chances to get his hat trick. If we're yeah. all honest, I don't think he really wants to take it. Mm. I think that was. I mean, Gerard took responsibility after the game, which is really good captaincy. But I think it just kind of was his fault because like because <laughs> it didn't look to me take like it. no yeah. take yeah, it because he wasn't oh. one. He didn't he didn't grab the ball. In fact, yeah. Suarez grabbed the ball and then kind of looked around for Gerard and then and. Sturridge was kind of around, but you know, then then so it was it was it was Jeremy. I mean, I'm sure he was keen to take it once he was offered. I don't, you know, he wasn't going. Oh no, no, not for me. This, you know, I, I don't fancy it. But I think so. It, it was frustrating. It was frustrating what happened. What happened after that, and as well, and I think um, you know the, the game kind of petered after that. And I think the manager was right to take him off because he was he was just. He got so annoyed with himself, and he was just solely focused on him scoring that he'd forgotten all that wonderful build-up play that we've um, been discussing earlier. Very quickly, I'm going to let Rob Goodman <clears throat> talk about Stephen Gerrard because actually, I'm more interested in talking <laughs> about Coutinho. Um, but Stephen Gerrard's always upset against Everton. It's it's a noticeable thing, Rob, and it's it's it's, it's a great header, for instance. But his all-round performance was terrific. Yeah, you know, he understands his responsibility as a leader in this city of ours he knows that you have to step up and he never has not stepped up in a derby uh, I have to say I don't think it's not just a matter of him playing giving his uh, his uh, lion-like spirit it's full a uh, full airing it's also the fact that he was in a formation which didn't leave him as exposed there was compactness all around him and he was able to express Same himself with the centre-backs absolutely he was sitting in, in front of the centre-backs like almost like a third centre-back like Lucas and he was able to really give of his best and he was genuinely magnificent it's a, it's that level that he hits, Jonathan. It's great to see him raise it the way in which he does. But it's <laughs> it's there's there was a real territorial aspect about his performance as well. He he yeah. had to side. No one was passing. Well, he. I mean, if you look back at the history of derbies in the last 10, 15 years, he is the overwhelming figure. He's the most important mm. player, especially in the Anfield derbies. And I think Liverpool have had the big player in more of these games than Everton had. The overwhelming majority of these games, big players often been Steven Gerrard or sometimes Suarez. But he, what one of the things that was surprising was he had the intensity. He 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 was the most, and you know, he he it was he was more up for it than anyone else. And it was surprising to me that none of the Everton players reached that level of intensity. It is. That, that, that's an interesting point really about the intensity John it was interesting that I thought that Barry was trying to get there but I think he sort of you know he got himself booked and he, he I think he was a bit rattled after what happened with the Lukaku tackle Barry was trying to impose himself on the game but no Everton player could quite do that could they but Barry imposes himself on a game in a different kind of way doesn't he he does it through control he does it through calmness and that wasn't, you know... He's so not he was, half the player, John, let's be right. Sorry? Barry's not half the player, Stephen Gerrard is. Well, no, but, but I, don't, I don't think that's what we're really getting at, though, are we here? We're, we're talking about, you know, players imposing themselves on, on the games and, and, and energy and, and willingness, and I think, you know, Gerrard's showing that, and, and Barry, Barry's, Barry's just trying to, you know, pass things around nicely and be in the right position, and, and, and you know, is looking to do intelligent things and things like that, whereas he, he didn't really get the opportunity to, to do that because we were, we were so well-organised, we were pressing when when necessary and we were you know harrying them off the ball but then knowing when to do that and doing it collectively and I think I think he just couldn't really get his game going because of how well we we were doing off the ball how we were targeting the players he was actually trying to pass to we yeah, were exposing well, exactly, their yeah, weaknesses exactly. not, not his uh, I want to talk about Coutinho it's really interesting to me Coutinho and Jonathan uh, it's a huge mm. improvement in his level there but it's still not clear what sort of player he's going to become because mm. he, he doesn't look like what you'd call a traditional Liverpool number seven. He doesn't look that comfortable, sort of. He looks very much like the player that's an apex. I mean, this it becomes numerical tactical talk and it feels a bit frustrating and this is where there's the shortcomings of English to discuss football mm. at times, <laughs> I think. But, you know, he doesn't look that comfortable as the middle of a three in a four-two-three-one, but he looks very, very comfortable at the apex of a three in a four-three-three. And you think that would be yeah. the same thing, but it's not. Well, it- 
I, th- I, th- I think it's interesting that at the start of the season, you know, and I know that Brendan Rodgers thought this is going to be him as the number 10. Um, you know, the Moses signing didn't work out, but one of the ideas was that Moses would come in, give give a third forward, and Coutinho could play behind them. And and I think, you know, we'd have all said that's where he's, that, that is his natural position, that's where he'll play. And it's interesting that he hasn't worked out there. Um, he's been swapped back, obviously, to the, the left or the right sometimes. He's played in the 4-3-3. But I do think long term that's where he's going to be, and I know we'll, we'll obviously talk about the Canoplianca attempted transfer, as it were. But um, I think that's another uh, motivation behind that one because long term Coutinho is going to be there. It is. It's it's, it's it's this odd sort of thing that you know. He, I don't know. Maybe it's because you don't necessarily got the goal return, but in that sort of the, the old traditional Liverpool four four one one, he doesn't quite fit as either of the ones. You know that that's the way in which they tend to play. But this is. There, when it was much more of a, he was very much in a midfield role. It suited him popping it round, finding it, passing it, pockets of space. More like the sort of play you get in a Barcelona midfield rather than the one between the four and the one in a Real Madrid. Jonathan, you want to come back in? Well, well, there's an argument for saying that the, the central player now in a number 10 has to be, actually be quite a hard-working player, almost, uh, almost another midfielder at times. And maybe there's more freedom in modern football playing out on the flank and then being able to drift and, and come in. I think Nedved was one of the first players I saw being a, a playmaker, but in that wide position. Yeah. And you Zidane. Made, yeah, Zidane, yeah. Zidane perfectly. So maybe, maybe that's what Coutinho's going to end up finding. I completely agree with Jonathan in terms of his position. I think um, you're right to bring up the Moses example, but also the two players that we've been linked with this transfer window and people are kind of getting frustrated and thinking, oh, why, why are we going in for them? You know, we, we've got all these attacking players and I think it's quite clear it's because he sees Coutinho playing much deeper, whether that's at the top of a two and a one or, or one of the two in a one and a two. Sorry, that, I, got, I got myself confused there yeah. for a second. But you know what I'm saying? Whether it's that, but I think that's the way he sees him. He sees him pulling the string. I think Coutinho likes to come deeper. I think he likes to see a lot of the ball. I don't think he's completely comfortable, you know, playing off just one striker. And as Neil quite rightly points mm. out, he maybe hasn't got the goal return to do that either. Yeah, I, I think there's a the, the for, people talk about the four three three as if it, when it's played as a diamond with somebody at the front of it, as if that's a number ten position, and it's just not. Uh, a number ten is is what Bergkamp did, Kenny did, Beardsley did, uh, Cantona, someone who actually can be a direct runner and actually take responsibility and and score goals. Coutinho's a midfield player. We're talking about the position Jordan Henderson's actually occupied for Liverpool yeah, for much yeah. for much of the last eighteen months. Uh, can Coutinho do that, Henderson? Continue can bring more create more end product than Henderson. End of story. But can he bring the the, the combative uh, work rate and pressure that Henderson can bring? If because it's a midfield yeah. job, that's the conundrum for him. But what I would say is on Coutinho is what what he showed in that position is that he can take the ball anywhere, and that's what really impressed me yes. with him. And and that's what Carried. none of our old, on the midfielders, maybe apart from Allen, do have that in their locker. When when someone's pressing you and someone's having you, they don't mind. They'll take the ball, they'll control it, and they'll get themselves a little bit of space. And that's what really impressed me about Coutinho's performance. Yeah, Rob's right to bring up Henderson as well, though, because there's definitely a Henderson factor. If we're going back to the summer, one of the you know Henderson wasn't going to be in the in the starting eleven, and no. I think one of the other things that's happened to Coutinho, Rogers is being flexible and he realizes he's got to get Henderson into the team now. I think, that, I think yeah. that, that is very interesting. I thought Henderson played well the other night as well. Uh, really helped Gerard out. Right, we're going to go to a break. A couple of little bits of admin before we do so. Um, that's firstly a huge confidence boost. We're going to talk about the issues around the Evertonian access to the stadium and also the stuff about the new ground. We'll talk about that in the next Anfield Rap podcast, which will be we'll do it on Sunday. It'll come out on Monday. We haven't really got time for that tonight. Uh, I also want to mention that I mentioned last week Peter Carney's Soccer in the City tours. You can find that online. We'll be doing that. If you can hear some phone, it's because we've all got phones on because of transfers. And Rob pointed out to me whilst that was ongoing that Andy Heaton, who does know this sort of thing 
has said that a medical has been booked in due to start in the next 90 minutes. Uh, he's no idea of names and he's not going to explain how why or he knows that, but trust me, he does. That's very interesting stuff. We'll keep an eye on that for you. But this is City Talk 105.9. It's the Anfield Wrap. More transfers in a second. The Anfield Wrap on City Talk 105.9. Your little hood friend makes me sick and after I get sick I just get sad because it burns to be broke, hurts to be heartbroken and always being both must be a drag. She's been calling me again. The hold steady of playing Sound City. I'm stupidly excited. Hold sta- uh, Sound City wristbands this weekend are far cheaper than they will be on Monday. If you want to come to Sound City in May in Liverpool, do so this weekend. Get them sorted. It's 40 quid plus booking fee. I know because my dad bought one last night. He's excited about hold steady too. Is he? Yeah. Me and your dad front row. <laughs> yeah. It's going to go right off. Yeah, he's very excited. Good man, good man himself. So then, and then they won't play as long as the boss, though. Just let him know now. <laughs> <laughs> he judges his gigs by weight, my dad. He'd come out and go, oh, that was good, but you only did an hour and a half. And I was like, yeah. but he probably will, Mac. He's 70, dad. <laughs> and he's like, but the boss does three hours. And I'm like, you've been you've been spoiled does, by the boss. Does he judge a meal by how full his plate is? <laughs> I think it's just concerts. And, and such small portions. Um, okay, okay. Uh, I love short gigs. I hate encores. Oh, yeah, I can't I've, stand encores. Yeah, I've had enough of encores as well. No, stay. Stay backstage. I'm either, out. My attitude is you either do it properly and break the rules... Hmm. Or don't have an encore hmm. unless you're really going to like do two or three and really wind up whoever's putting the venue on and and <laughs> maybe break a couple of laws. Then you know I'm not really that interested. Well, um, let the crowd shout for a B side they genuinely want, and you do it even though you haven't prepared it. That's an encore. Yeah, that's uh, that's okay. that, well, we could go on all night. <laughs> we, we could, we could indeed. Uh, we, are, me and John are going to. Uh, we've got five hours on deadline day after this. Mainly, it's just as an excuse to speak to a load of people. Those people are as follows. I'm pretty much in this order unless something's gone badly wrong. Rory Smith, Steve Armstrong, Kevin Day, Juliet Jakes, David Mooney, Steve Goldsmith, uh, Natasha Henry, uh, Christian Hennage, Greg O'Keefe, Andy Heaton, and Andy Thomas. Uh, but we're going to talk solely about Liverpool now in the transfer market. We're going to talk about Conor Plankia, uh, Jonathan Pernod beautifully before I think mm-hmm. I've probably not done quite as good a job <clears> there it's very much as flux uh, with the reference to Liverpool even now even at this time I, I mean I, I don't want to talk too much about necessarily the player but adding any player at this stage has got to be seen as a positive but there's just this complexity isn't there Jonathan that's added, mm. added to this with the Ukrainian element um, yeah. you know it's but you know football clubs are a bit mad aren't they well there's a couple of things here Wenger always says you know the transfer's got three stages you've got to, you've got to deal with the player you've got to agree to deal with the player agree to deal with the agent and agree to deal with the club and I think what's happened here is Liverpool have done the first two but they haven't done the, the third and it's going to be the hardest thing of all there's so many things that are, are complicated about this one of them is the the fact that I think as we know Dnipro are, are actually owned by a very very rich man one of the, the 400 richest men in the world apparently um, and he you know he, he, like any oligarch it's a point of pride for him not to not to be seen to losing any deal who doesn't need the money um, there's a Ukrainian business mentality I've, I've got a little bit of experience having gone to the Euros and, and stayed in places around Ukraine it's a little bit different the way we do things I mean I remember You'd try and get a hotel room um, in Donetsk or whatever, and they would say five hundred pounds, and you'd say, "Well, five hundred pounds is ridiculous." So you'd you'd wait and you'd 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 phone again, and you knew that the whole hotel was was still empty, but and you'd you'd try on the eve of the game, thinking, "Well, they're going to have to sell a, an empty room," and they'd say five hundred pounds because that's just the way they that's the way they think. So I I think what's happening here is if if the transfer is going to go through, the money has got to be on the Ukrainian terms. It looks like they want to bit paid up front. And I know people are going to be critical of Ian Air and Liverpool if it comes down to something like not being able to pay the money up front. But I have a bit of sympathy here because if you think of a Chelsea or a Man City, they get praised for doing deals quickly. One of the factors is they've got infinitely rich owners who literally can sign a cheque for £30 million or do a bank transfer without it 
mattering to them at all. Liverpool aren't owned like that. Liverpool have a consortium of people who have to raise money every time a deal takes place. And they may, they, they may not be able to get cobble £15 million on the nose together. Um, and like most clubs would want to structure a deal. So it's coming down to things like that. That is the key question, though. Is what, but Liverpool, we, from reports and looking at accounts, they do have decent overdraft facilities. Mm-hmm. I accept, I, I suppose I'm going to partially disagree, Jonathan. Is I think if we're talking about 30, 40 million pound mm-hmm. player, I can fully understand how Liverpool might get, oh, geez, that's a bit of a hit. But we're talking about, we're talking about the Salah deal that's fallen out of bed over a couple of mil. Um, mm. The reports we're getting out, we don't know if they're authoritative or not, but the nearest to get to authoritative are that the Ukrainians want best part of 15 or 16 up front. Liverpool want to pay 10 or 12, and, and the gap's three or four. And I'm kind of hoping that, that three or four million shouldn't cause. I, I just hope when the fallout comes, because the deal probably is not going to mm. happen, when the fallout comes, we're not going to find out it was just three or four million it, knicker. It's just, <laughs> it's just that it's quite obvious looking at Liverpool's deal that they don't have big money to, to pay for any transfers up front. I can't, you know, when was the last really, really big transfer? If you think about everything's been around the £10 million deal, the £8 million sort of mark. So I, I don't I don't know, you know, exactly what the problem is financially, but it's obvious that there isn't that sort of massive amount of money on the nose for things. What, what strikes me as well with it, John, is it's the, the way in which... It's the way in which the, 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 how last minute this has become though, and this is this is what I find odd. And I also find it odd that the price that we're willing to pay for our second target behind Salah mm. is greater than the price we were willing to pay for Salah. I mean, it's 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 it feels as though there's there is a logic at play within all this. There is a logic at play within all this, but it's not necessarily one that's that you can get on board with. Yeah, I mean, I think what's what apparently has happened. So the story goes is Salah was um, first choice for January, someone that before they could use now, and then this guy they were going to come back for in the summer, presumably once there was more space, you know, in the squad, and we were in Europe, so we could, you know, uh, afford and need them both. So, and I think, I think, so that's why the, the you in, I think that's why we're in this strange situation where our second choice is costing more than our first. But I mean, it is last minute. I'd, I don't know. I, I, I sometimes feel reluctant to, to, to criticise how transfers are done because I'm aware I've got absolutely no idea. And you think they're all so last minute, there must be some sort of reasons. And whether agents are just refusing to deal with people until late and just holding out and just seeing what else is around and see what they can get, I'm sure there's an element of that as well. I think what what I like about this transfer window in terms of our dealing is we, we seem at least to be on the, the same page in terms of what who we want and it's not kind of a bit more all over the place like it seemed in the summer where we go in for say Mictarian or something and that didn't work out and then so we're suddenly we're in for a striker and you think well hang on Whereas, and then we're in for the wide play when that doesn't work out and you couldn't really understand the philosophy there and you couldn't understand well hang on who is it if who is it we're in for and what is it we're trying to achieve rather than just oh well, let's get a good player and if that one doesn't work out we'll go and get a try and get another good one i think at least at least he's identified what he wants and you know we've we've gone after two good players who fit into that category i think john what frustrates the fans is that it's, it's what happened in the summer i think it, the fact that we secured twenty-three million pounds worth—I don't know the payment terms, or none of us do—but we assume there's a reasonable amount would have been needed to be put down on, on players who've contributed. I think four Premier League starts between them. I'm talking about Ilori, Alberto, and Aspas. So it, it leads one to believe that there is there is an idea of a, of a, de- a reasonable budget there. I think the problem is is there's obviously a conflict between uh, well, and my suspicions is not about budget so much as about a policy, mm-hmm. a policy that was formulated in the wake of the 2011 debacle over Andy Carroll mm-hmm. and Downing in particular, where they said we will have this attitude to value and value at value at all costs. There's a famous Tom Werner interview where he said it's as important now who we don't buy as who we do buy, mm-hmm. and I think they set themselves these parameters and they go we will. 
we will stick to these parameters, though the heavens fall. And uh, and that's what mm. they're doing. And it, to fans, and I'm a fan, it frustrates the hell out of us. No, that, that, that's the interesting dynamic taking place, isn't it? Because, you know, I think as a team evolves, maybe you change your parameters. And this is yeah. maybe what is frustrating Brendan Rodgers, although he may not say that publicly. And also there's opportunity in terms of where Liverpool are now in the league yeah. table. There's opportunity in where the fact that realistically Manchester City will get more points next season. Chelsea will get more points realistically. United United will. won't be as bad, yeah. So yeah. You know, it's an opportunity there as well, isn't it, Jonathan? Well, it is. You, you know, there's an, there's an argument that this is this is the, the, the moment in time where you, you gamble, you push the boat out. I think also as a team improves, the, the bar is raised higher in order to get into that team. And, and I think as Brendan Rodgers would see it, you know, the, the time for buying ones for the future was the last couple of years. This is the next phase. This is the buying players that go straight into the team to make it that, that little bit better. Liverpool are in the top four with the squad they've got. If they're going to keep improving, then obviously they need something that's slightly better. So I think there is a philosophical difference here. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's this may be one of those that if you think back to that transfer window where Brendan missed out on Clint Dempsey, but he got what he wanted the next window. It would be unfortunate for Liverpool if the same happened again, that you know this ended in disappointment and the correction takes place in the summer because, as you say, that might be too late. I think it's this. It's the, the the thing that also gets me on it, you know, in terms of this conflict between transfer committee, stroke directors of football, stroke the manager as the man, Rob. It's, you know, it's basically the book will stop at the manager. Fundamentally, yeah. we are football supporters and we are a bit basic and we're happy to acknowledge our, our, our basicness. So therefore, if we don't make fourth this season, you know, to a certain extent, the, the manager will get down the banks over the fact that you, well, you picked the wrong team, you did, Hull wasn't right, you picked the wrong team at Villa, what was going on with Brad Smith at Chelsea, it was ridiculous. You know, all that sort of stuff, It's it, it, that's where the book it will end up going, well, the manager could have done better. And yet there'll still be people saying, you know, you've also got to see the money. But it happens with the manager. So the current arrangement to me, because the transfer committee is this sort of faceless thing, bar all the jokes that we do and will do, mm between 6 and 11 o'clock about DNA. Uh, bar, bar that, it's this sort of faceless thing, whereas Brendan's got to go and do a press conference today. He's got to, he's got to manage a team on Sunday. He's got to do, a, do an after-match interview. He's got to pretend he's happy with no players again. That's what he's got to do. And the fans have got to, and the fans of the paying public have got to suck it up. There, there is, there's becoming a bit of a, um, a narrative uh, around transfers, a sort of snobbery around it that it's that it's just something for a, for a, a childish fan to enjoy, someone who's played too many computer games. Uh, that forgets that recruitment is the, is the most fundamental off the field thing that happens in football. P- fo- success in football is about players. There's no accident that Manchester City and Chelsea are the most uh, are the top English sides at the moment. It's because they've recruited and recruited and recruited. This is what defines teams, and we have these moments in a season we're before the season in the middle where this can define where we go next, and we're right to be angry. You know, as, as a fan body, we're right to say no. We need to understand what's going on here for them to be give us coy answers at the end of this. Well, it just didn't work out. You don't. These things are a bit complicated. It's not really going to wash. We, uh, you know, we the people the paying public well i mean there, there is an aspect of that the paying public i mean this is my, my constant thing whenever anyone says a side's in transition ticket prices are never in transition no you're, 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 you're constantly asked to turn up and pay and you you, you get that you get the product that you're given you expect to see the best possible stuff i always remember the dan ashworth quote from west brom which was something on the lines of he is director of football he gets to fail twice whereas a manager only gets to fail once and i think that that's that's what worries me john with this sort of stuff is mm. that it's going to be it's I, I don't know i think i think as as fans the book stops with the manager and i think that's what we look at and fans go well why has he spent all this money on this player for example and we just kind of presume that the players the man, even now that the manager's kind of sanctioned every deal and, and kind of got here we want where it might not necessarily be the case I think within the football club even though we, we have pretty much absent owners I, I think they'll they'll have a reasonable 
they'll have a reasonable knowledge of what's gone wrong this window because if we don't buy anyone then, it, then you've got to say it has gone wrong because we looked at strength and didn't and i think they'll know what it's come down to whether it's mm-hmm. ena not being able to do the deals whether it's the transfer committee not identifying enough players and not identifying you know enough quality that, that we can uh, uh, that we can get in to improve the team or whether it's the manager whether the manager's you know shouting down every kind of suggestion that this transfer committee made we don't know that but i think people in the club will know that and i think the the owners have shown to be ruthless in terms of you know dealing with situations and and, and getting rid of people who they don't think are, are, are quite up to task then they then questionably employing more people that aren't up to task but you know they at least get rid of the ones that um, you know that aren't doing the job so i'm not too concerned about that I'm just concerned that the stable door will close and the horse will have bolted and Liverpool will spend next season and, and seasons to follow battling for fourth place with Arsenal and other sides like that as well. That's my worry. Um, anyway, it sounds like I've really editorialised that, that. Sorry, lads, you don't all agree with me necessarily. Sorry, John. Um, fourth place, battling for fourth place was, it would be a good thing. Um, uh, well, maybe, maybe not. I want to mention one little thing. We've been asked for that. Rob, I'm all about the league title. Uh, we've been asked, for, we've been asked uh, by Alison McGovern to mention that she's doing a fundraising evening with Alan Johnson MP. Well, I, I asked Alison if she wanted me to mention it. It was more that way around. Uh, because I like to please Alison um, and she said yes please do so so she's doing a fundraising thing with Alan Johnson um, on the Friday the 20th of February it'll be in Thornton Howe Hoff Thornton Hall Hotel Thornton Hall it's terrible over in the Wirral I can never say a single place Thornton Hall <laughs> Hotel in the Wirral uh, Friday the 28th of February 7pm for 7.30 you get your tea tickets are about 26 quid that's not how it's put on the promotional stuff you get your tea <laughs> but you do you get your tea tickets are about 26 quid Wirral South Events at Outlook.com tell them we sent you this is City Talk 105.9 <laughs> I'd like to think so this is City Talk 105.9 this is the Anfield Wrap after the break we're going to talk about West Brom the Anfield Wrap on City Talk 105.9 it's the Anfield Rap City Talk 105.9. John Gibbons, Rob Gutman. I'm very happy to have Jonathan Norcroft join us. We wanted him to do some live radio. Uh, He's got loads us. of notes. It's like a proper journalist oh, showing amazing, us all off. It? It's amazing. Yeah. Um, it's me just doing Daft Punk quotes. I'll do some shorthand for you as well. <laughs> um, it's great stuff. We're, 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 one of the reasons, though, Jonathan's writing a column in our magazine. The next issue of our magazine is going to be out next week. And in it, there's going to be a great interview with Daniel Sturridge, wherein he will tell you about many, many things. Uh, one of those is how much he enjoys lobbing keepers. And it's well worth listening to. Uh, me and John have been lucky enough to hear it. And it's great stuff, isn't it, John? It's fantastic. Yeah, um, everyone's dead funny. Everyone comes out of it really well. Everyone comes out of it well. Uh, Joel, uh, Jonathan donates his fee when he writes for the magazine to uh, the charity called Calm. So we mentioned them last week because Joel Richards is doing a run for them and he stopped drinking as well. But Sefton Cricket Club, who Jonathan's a member of, they work <coughs> with their Calm as well. And it's um, we've mentioned this charity before for, for young men aged between 18 and 35, uh, those suffering from depression, Jonathan. You know, it's a, it, it's a good charity. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a really important cause. I mean, Calm's a campaign against living miser- miserably and it is targeting young men who might not be able to reach out to anybody else you know they can get anonymous help they can just sort of be part of a community they can go to the website and uh, and just you know maybe maybe get some help not feel so alone and and our cricket club's been been behind this um for the last sort of year year and a half since we lost one of our own members who was a very sort of dear friend to all of us and and uh, a very very popular and um, talented cricketer uh, who you know battled his own problems with depression and, and unfortunately took his own life. But it's a cause that it's, it's been quite inspiring the last year, um, seeing how many how many people have, have, have sort of been behind this cause, looking at the work that, that people like Calm do, and there are other organisations, State of Mind are in, in sport as well. There's obviously mm-hmm. still the Samaritans and so on. But it's just it's, it's just a very very important cause, and uh, 
you know, it, it, it's a great charity. Yeah. I'm, I'm very glad to have the, the platform through you guys um, and, and that you're helping Calm as well. Uh, yep, yeah, uh, what I mentioned there, Joel, as well, uh, mentioned a second ago, Joel is, uh, he's, you can find him on Just Giving, and if you'd like to do uh, sponsor him on that one, you can do. Um, okay, then we're going to talk very quickly, and I mean quickly, three minutes and 15 seconds about Liverpool versus West Brom. Uh, the bottom 10 is mad. The point is that no one is very good, but they're all scrapping the hearts out, and they will have to not to go down. Uh, West Brom have got a new manager who needs to get himself a result at some point. Uh, Jonathan, am I right to be mildly scared? It feels like stars are aligning. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, what West Brom going to be like? Uh, you know, new manager, new couple of new signings. It's a re, it's one of those tricky little fixtures, isn't it? Where where um, you know, Liverpool aren't quite sure what's going to going to happen. Um, one thing is uh, there won't be any Lukaku, which is obviously a good thing for Liverpool. Um, and Anelka's going to be out, but. I think West Brom just signed Wes Houlihan, who's my my wife's favourite player in the world because she's a Norwich fan. Very upset about that move, but uh, we we watched Brazil at the uh, the Olympics in 2012, and after watching Neymar, she shrugged and said, "It's nothing that Wes Houlihan can't do." <laughs> so that that's what you're in for. That's well, I, I, Wes Houlihan is a very very good player. I mean, it's, is is there any? Ultimately, what I'm asking, what I'm going to drive at here, uh, Rob, is you know, would you suggest any changes for Liverpool? Because I'm worried about uh, Zoltan Gear blinds. We had one last season. We found it tough there in recent years. Mm. Uh, everyone has a great away because they're kebabs but you know is there any any changes you know you'd, you'd suggest in personnel or in approach do Liverpool approach this one like the away team or do they maybe get a bit more on the front foot if it had been after the if this had followed the Villa game yeah you'd have seen the changes and you'd have gone for the 4-3-3 and brought in uh, fit again Joe Allen and, and shored it up but uh, the Everton team deserves to go again there's no doubt about it we've Rogers, I think, will be very keen to see this, that, that more compact system, but with the flair players all in the side, go again. We're well-rested, I would hope. Uh, West Brom have had a day less. Um, I, they're not as strong as they were under Steve Clark last season. Uh, I think this is a game Liverpool should and will take by the scruff of the neck and push on with. Uh, where if uh, Rogers, The Rogers algorithm is when we come back from a bad result, he gets one, two, maybe three good results before the pressure of game four and the, and the, and the shock of maybe having a five, six match winning sequence takes over. But I think at this stage, with a, with a, with a decent headwind, Liverpool should be OK. Uh, ship, ship four against Villa, Jonathan. Liverpool will surely score. West, West Brom needs to score two, I think, to get something out of the game, you'd have thought. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't fancy West Brom's defending at all. And uh, the way, you know, to, 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 to go up in that game a couple of times and then to, to subside in a derby shows that maybe they're not the strongest uh, and as I say Pepe Mel flair, flair football attacking football they might be in a bit of transition uh, John Gibbons it's a big game for the champions elect City Chelsea on Monday Ch- time to put a marker down I think we're going to batter them <laughs> I've listened to all that carefully and you're all talking nonsense yeah. I think we're going to batter them I more or said that John said it in a nice yeah. way <laughs> you, don't, you, don't, you don't worry me teams that worry me are teams that can have a go Villa, Villa worried me before the game because of what they can do the counter-attacking they don't seem to have too much about them I'm worried about Hulahan now I've heard his name our comparisons <laughs> I'm, slightly, I'm slightly more concerned now they might get one but I think we'll get about six can I we think... go third sorry Neil, if we win uh, no, 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 it's, one it's point off it right yeah. No, but we can get we can get very very close indeed, and, and neither City and Chelsea can't both win, can they, John? No, I've looked into it. <laughs> they can't do it. They, they can't, can't both win. No. Okay, it's been a ruling. Yeah. yeah, we're just about to run out of time. Going anywhere at this point would be an awful, awful mistake. Liverpool versus West Brom then on Sunday. This is the Anfield wrap now. But if you go somewhere, you're going to miss all the transfer jokes. The Anfield Wrap, brought to you by High Street Solicitors. Keep 100% of your compensation. Call 203-1268 to claim your £200 cash advance. Terms and conditions apply.